All right. So uh, YouTube tells me we are live, and I am just waiting for the screen to come up and confirm that there's always a little bit of a delay. I apologize for the little slight unprofessionalism that every that always happens every time there's a live stream and I have to check the sound and everything and make sure it's all good, but it looks like it's all good. So uh, hey, everybody. Uh, welcome to the Sensibly Speaking podcast. And um, I am Chris Shelton, your host, and I am doing this live this week, as we as we all know. Uh, oh, good. So the comments are coming up as you guys are filling in. It's funny because before, just just for whatever, when I for you YouTubers who are watching this, you can see on the stream that when you put the comments in, they show up on the side of the screen, but they don't start showing up until the stream goes live. So I just set this screen up to do this today and I didn't know whether that was gonna be working or not, but it looks like it's working just fine. Excellent, and hey, Copenhagen, um, hey everybody. So uh, for some reason though in the comments, it's not showing, oh, super clearly there, the colors are a little off on being able to see the name of the person who's commenting. My bad on that. Anyway, hey everybody. Yeah, this move. Oh, my God. Moving is so stressful. I just, oh, God, you know, even when everything goes exactly the way you want it to, it's still stressful. And it hasn't all gone exactly the way we wanted it to, but it has gone overall quite well. We have arrived in our home. This is a house now. Uh, we are not renting an apartment. I am in one of the bedrooms. This is my studio office space. Uh, Mel is really happy because she's got her own office space now, and we have our own in addition to the to the bedroom and living room and all the other fun things that you get when you get a house, you know, including yards and things like that. So, uh, so quite a nice, uh, quite a nice move overall. Um, I just wish, honestly, that it wasn't so damn expensive. We saved our our backs this time by hiring pro movers. And I would, I'll never regret that, but uh, geez, man. All right. So, uh, all right. Uh, you're going to have to let me know and uh, what happy science is. I'm not quite sure exactly what you're referring to there. Send me an email at askchrisshelton at gmail.com. And uh, you can always email me at that email address and ask me questions about anything or make show suggestions or content suggestions or anything like that that you'd like. So um, I'm a little anxious to get going because I don't want to waste you guys' time uh, with all this intro personal stuff. We are doing a podcast here this week, and uh, this is going to be about talking to cult members. I thought, well, I didn't have an interview for this week. We were moving, you know, and all the other stuff. I didn't even have my office really fully set up until a couple of days ago. So I thought, well, what am I going to do for a podcast this week? And I thought, well, I want to get some feedback from you guys as I'm going here, I've made some notes to talk about, um, and I thought this might be useful or applicable information um, for, uh, oh, thank you, Dorte. Um, I thought this might be useful or applicable information for anybody, really talking to anybody with different beliefs or ideas. I had a really nice um, chat this week. We had a Zoom call with Anthony Magnabosco, and it got me thinking about this. For those of you who have been longtime show followers, you know Anthony is a recurring guest I've had a couple times, and he is a proponent of an advocate for um, street epistemology, a sort of Socratic method of, of, of interfacing or dealing with or dialoguing with people and rooting out why they believe what they believe and why, why they think what they think, where their beliefs and ideas come from, and how they rationalize or justify those beliefs to themselves. And, it's, and when you're really, truly curious and interested in other people, it is a fascinating technique to get into somebody else's head and, 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 and you know, inquire as to why they are thinking the way they're thinking. Also happens to be the fact that when you do something like that and you get somebody exploring their own what's called epistemology, their own knowledge and sources of knowledge and how they accept knowledge, 
then you find they sometimes start questioning their own deeply held beliefs or ideas. Because uh, you get them thinking about it and engaging with those ideas since in it rather than just treating them like most people treat deeply held beliefs, which is that we treat them like stereotypes or cliches or what's called thought stopping cliches. They just become this sort of set mold thought pattern and we don't have to think about it anymore. We don't have to engage with it anymore. And street epistemology asks you to do so and inquires about it. So it's a fascinating topic. And we were talking in some depth about it. And it got me thinking about this topic of talking to cult members. And I thought, well, it's fresh on my mind. And this is certainly stuff that I have been recently educated on and have been and have uh, given a lot of thought to. So um so I thought that um, we might tackle this as a live stream this time because I might connect with questions you guys have during the stream. Um, this is not a Q&A, and I'm not going to sit here and just answer questions, but I am going to be checking and looking and seeing if there's anything you know super uh, relevant and important to what I'm talking about, then I will definitely get in there and and uh, and respond to that as part of this podcast. Um, and uh, for example, X Cyan asks here: Is street epistemology aggressive? Uh, it's not supposed to be. No, uh, it should be a very rational, reasonable, uh, mannered conversation. It's not meant to be a challenging, in-your-face, aggressive method of 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 of. Uh, confronting someone or dealing with someone who has different ideas than you. It's actually the exact opposite of that. Um, we talked about it in terms of, um, I brought up to them, to, to, to Anthony and some of the others who were involved in developing street epistemology, I spoke with them about the fact that it also could be utilized for or is useful in the direction of uh, talking to cult members and getting people even out of cults only through the process of inquiry and seed planting and maybe, you know, light questioning, nothing deep and super invasive and, you know, in your face or challenging. And in fact, that's what we're going to go over today in some of the points I have about how you should go about talking to people about their deeply held beliefs. Um, so let's go ahead and get into it. Um, so happy you guys are uh, joining me live for this. I really am. All right. So first off, okay, first off, let me get a, excuse me, a little sip there. Okay. A couple points. If you meet somebody, know somebody, have a friend or family member who's involved in a cult, gets involved in a, in a, this also applies by the way to gangs to, uh, you know, kind of hostile environments to, uh, in other words, I mean like situations they get involved in that you're like, whoa, that could be bad. Um, it's not always just cults. Uh, cults are an extreme version of this, but also even predatory relationships where you have sort of a narcissistic type guy or girl, you know, it could be either way who is um, starting to become coercively controlling over the relationship partner. Same kind of dynamics apply here in many, many ways. It's not all cookie cutter. This is no, there's no factory line production, do step A, B, and C, and everything's going to be great. It's not that simple, unfortunately, in dealing with people who are, um, you know, running into... Uh, or rather, who have adopted, you know, very serious, stringent uh, beliefs, and especially when they have that emotional connection to them. Yes, this definitely applies to conspiracy theorists, QAnon, anti-vax. Absolutely. Yes, we are talking about beliefs that basically, basically what we're talking about is when you're talking to somebody or dealing with somebody who has deep emotional ties to these ideas, Right, because a belief is really just something you think is true. It's just an idea. It's just it's it's just ideas. You know, there's really nothing more to it than that. But when we attach emotion to these ideas, and when we attach identity to these ideas, when we make that idea 
kind of part of us when we sort of, you know, sort of make it, take it into us and consider that it is part of who we are, that it is a defining characteristic of us that we hold this belief or that we believe this thing to be true or false for that matter. I mean, anything in, in, in that regard, whatever the belief is, when we do that, then you have a whole nother set of things you got to deal with uh, when talking to the person about those beliefs. It's not just a simple matter of an idle conversation about the clouds in the sky. You know, when, when a person is deeply emotionally invested in the status of those clouds, I guess you could say, or whatever's going on with the weather, then it's a bit of a different, more important, more meaningful conversation to the person. And so if you, uh, you know, say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or act the wrong way about it, you can piss the person off. They can become very, very upset with you and surprisingly so. And it can come out of nowhere. It's, it's really quite wild what can happen. So, um, so, so the emotional component of this, the emotional part of it is, is really, is really the uh, sort of the clincher, the thing that really holds it in place and, and makes it so difficult to deal with. Okay, so... Um, yeah. Yes. Uh, we talked last night, by the way, for anybody who's asking about Will Smith, I see Doug Bug there, uh, and I've, I've seen a couple other mentions of it. Um, yes, Will Smith was a Scientologist. I actually talked about it at length last night in my Critical Conversations show. So if you want the whole deal on Will Smith, Jada Smith, Scientology, and what's going on with that connection, um, then check out my show last night and also check out the reporting from Tony Ortega on his blog about Will Smith because it's pretty extensive and he goes over uh, quite a bit about it. Okay, and Red Pill 3000, you are nailing it. You are getting exactly to a point I am going toward about love. Um, but we're going to, let me cover a couple more points first before we get to that, which is don't panic, <laughs> okay? Very few, although people can get quite panicked and quite alarmed about um, friends or family getting involved in cult situations, you don't have to panic. It's very, very rare that it is a do or die right now, you have to get them out tonight kind of situation. It, that Those situations do come up, but most of the time, and especially the way I'm talking about this today, this is a longer haul process. This is not a one and done. You are not going to one and done somebody out of a cult. Very, very, very hard to do. Very hard to do. It can't, I mean, theoretically, it could be done. Um, but it is, uh, it is hard, okay? Um, uh... Yeah, Shimoda. Yes, uh, well, yes. Will Smith definitely was a Scientologist, and yes, do watch the show last night. Yeah, absolutely. No, he really was. Um, okay. So anyway, don't panic is my point there. Okay, that's the very, very, very first point. Is to the degree that you are not chill, not calm, not not clear minded, not kind of mindful and actively listening, to the degree that you're off center, we could say in dealing with this person, they're going to sense that, right? They're going to know something's up. They're going to know you got ulterior motives or something's freaking you out or you're anxious or whatever. And they don't want to be the source of that. And they don't feel at all like it should be the source of that. So it feels inappropriate to them. And it feels like it's something like, what are you, what, what, what? you know, no, don't worry. Don't be, don't freak out. This is okay. You know, they, 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 that's not the way they're thinking about it. They don't want you thinking about it that way either. And it will only get in the way is what I'm really trying to say of, of your of any forward progress you might be trying to make. Okay, the other thing to know about this going in, and this is something that a lot of people don't totally. It took me a long time to kind of get my wits around this, so I'm not, um, I'm not. Uh, um, anyway, I'm not a hundred percent on this, but I am saying that uh, that emotion is powerful stuff really powerful stuff, okay? And and we constantly, especially in the skeptic atheist world, uh, make the mistake of thinking you're going to logic somebody or reason somebody out of an emotionally based stance on something, or you're going to talk somebody out of it. And, and if I were to try to, if I were to, to say to you, if you've ever been in love, and again, I'll go back to Red Pill here, 
if you've ever been in love, and I mean early stage love, love like, oh, like the adder, oh my God, the euphoria, the awe, the experience, the like, oh, this is amazing. I love this. This feels so great. All the, you know, endorphins and the the the, the um, neurotransmitters and everything are firing off and your brain's electrically alive and your whole body is tingling with it. You know, that feeling, those feelings that are powerful and they are, they are, um, they're susceptible to manipulation, right? We are all susceptible to manipulation. And those feelings evoking those responses in somebody is some of the most powerful manipulation you could engage in. And cults, one for one for one, use that. They are trying, they're going for those euphoric experiences, right? Those awe-inspiring, out-of-my-head, can't-believe-it kind of experiences. And once you start giving somebody experiences like that, however you do it, whether it's through meditation, whether it's through staring at each other in a communications course in Scientology, whether it's telling them some common-sense principle that blows their mind, whether it's giving them a Dianetic session or uh, marrying them in a group, like, you know, meeting Reverend Moon or whatever the thing is, you know, even falling on the floor and speaking in tongues and being in some big group situation where there's a whole lot of, you know, electricity in the air and people are like at church revivals, things like that. That's the kind of experiences I'm talking about is these really powerful emotional experiences. People have that happen to them, and uh, they do not easily forget about that or want it to go away. They want more of that. So, um, so you want to, and it's perfectly fine to have those feelings. You know, that's those feelings and euphoria and awe are not your enemy. They are great. They are the they are the moments that make life most worth living in so many ways, which is why they're so susceptible to being manipulated, right? Is if a, if a trickster, if a predator, if a fraudster or a narcissist can, can get you into that state, and we'll call it a state for lack of a better word, you know, that oh, kind of experience, and then they can tell you whatever interpretation they want for what that is that you're feeling, why you're feeling that way. It's because you handled an engram in your reactive mind that you feel that way. Or it's because you're exterior now. You know, you're out of your body. This proves you're a thetan, not a body. Ah, you know, people glom onto this explanation for it and they go, this is great. Give me more of it. And if you can repeat the feat... If you can do it twice, oh, they'll be yours forever, right? Because anybody can have a good time once, but if you can go back and do it again, oh, I'm on to something now, right? And it's really pretty much that easy to get somebody on board almost anything. So, um, okay, so that is that. Okay, Red Pill, you are so goofy. All right, now. Emotion, basically, bottom line there is that emotion is more powerful than logic and reason. Uh, it will overpower uh, in, in many, many, many contexts. Emotion will overpower our reasoning abilities. And when those emotions are tied to a euphoric experience, like I said, or this, this, this reward sort of thing, and another way you could think about it, right, this big-time reward system, uh, then, you know, people don't want to give that up. People don't want to doubt that or think that there's something wrong with that. And those emotions are powerful. And you have to recognize going into something like this, talking to a cult member or even like a conspiracy theorist or something, that you are dealing with an emotional situation, not a logic situation. And it's not going to be a simple matter of talking them out of it by reasons and facts that contradict, you know, by presenting them with reasons or facts that contradict their narrative or their story. They don't want to hear it. They don't want to hear it. And, uh, and, that's, and they're going to resist hearing it. And that's, that's part of the problem in dealing with that. Okay, so you want to, and the other thing about this that some people will tend to forget sometimes is that 
you are talking to somebody when you're talking to a person who is under present time in their environment now coercive control again relationship cult gang whatever you're talking to somebody who is under active manipulation in the here and now it's not something that happened to them you know years ago it's happening to them now so realize that it's not a level playing field that you're on when you're talking with them you're 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 going uphill it's an uphill battle for you uh, to deal with their dogma or their beliefs or their ideas and try to challenge them. It's not just a, oh, I'll meet you in the middle. That's not where they're at. <laughs> they do not want to meet you in the middle. What they want is they want to actually drag you over to where they're at because they believe that they have found the most incredible, amazing, wonderful thing ever, and they want nothing more than to share it with you. Um but after a few experiences, generally speaking, where people run into family and friends who are hostile, antagonistic, rah, get in their face, then they shut down. They realize, oh, I can't talk about this. This is a secret. And, they, and also the manipulation contributes to that with the us versus them that is being constantly hit on them. They are, the cult leader, the narcissist, the, the predators are constantly isolating the person away from their earlier former ties and they are trying to get them away from those connections and sever those connections. So those are the that's the manipulation you're actually fighting against. So it is a little bit more of a of an uphill battle. Um, yes, Shimoda, I do. Shimoda's asking here, do you think this is the same brain circuitry that gets hijacked during drug addiction? The awe, love, wonder, ecstasy response being repeatedly triggered and being brought back. Yes, that is exactly what this is. Uh, very, very similar, I can say, right? I won't say, you know, yes, it's exactly the same, but similar enough that it pretty much is. Um, there's only so many things that your brain's doing. It's an amazingly complicated device, but it's really, really only trying to do a few things as far as your conscious experience goes. You know, I mean, I, in reality, it's doing thousands of things, but as far as your conscious experience goes, it's trying to, key, to, to navigate the world through the perceptions that you are feeding it so that it can keep living, it can keep surviving, keep going. That's its primary function, and anything that accomplishes that is thumbs up as far as your brain is concerned. And when the brain is experiencing these incredibly positive, wonderful times, it's got parts of it lighten up that are just like, yeah. And it just so happens that when we fall in love, when we get into a cult, and when we take drugs, all the same kinds of things are all firing off or happening. That's that euphoria uh, experience. So, yeah, ecstasy, et cetera. It's, 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 uh, there's a lot of words for it over the years for, um, for what this is all about. But, um, but it comes down to, you know, mind blown kind of thing. Okay. And, in fact, I was now going to say in terms of uh, my, my sequence of notes here that it is, think about it as the same or very similar to somebody who's falling in love. Because uh, a lot of us have experienced that, uh, have some concept of what that feels like, and the giddiness of it, and the 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 romance of it, and 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 cults are not romantic love, but that same level of giddiness, excitement, you know, that kind of thing is uh, you, like. <laughs> You get the tingles. <laughs> okay, so uh, so that is, uh, that's that. Exactly. You justify the red flags. That's right. Maybe if you see them, if you allow yourself to perceive them at all. Because there's another little fun thing to throw in here, by the way, for people, which is that we are, our emotional state has an awful lot to do uh, with our ability to perceive things in the first place. And we might, our eyes might, might wander over a thing, but that doesn't mean we're going to see it. You know what I mean? And, um, and that's not just sight. It can be sound. It can be all kinds of things that can be impacted 
by what we want to be true. If we need a thing to be true in order for us to feel like we're surviving and we're moving through life and everything is good and we're on the right path, if we need this to be true to feel that way, then we will literally not see, not hear things that counter that. It can get that bad. That's, that's what bias is all about. That's what prejudice is all about, right? Is this kind of thinking. This is how that, how that whole cognitive dissonance thing gets resolved. So, so it's, again, powerful stuff. This is not lightweight, you know, airy-fairy stuff. Now, uh, as far as moving forward, let me just check in on the comments real fast. Good. Yes, yes, yes. X-rated stuff. Yes, red pill. X-rated stuff counts too. All right. Um, now, some in terms of uh, points of advice here, you cannot, the thing, one of the most important things that you have to keep front and center at all times when you are talking with somebody who is in a cult is that you cannot help them if they disconnect from you. If, you, if they decide to shun you, if they walk away, you know, you can't help anyone if they won't talk to you or see you. Uh, so whatever you do, try to maintain a relationship on any terms rather than no terms at all. However, this doesn't mean that you should allow the person to cross boundaries that you are not personally comfortable with. It is perfectly okay for you to have healthy relationships no matter who it is you're having those relationships with. Those, that's up to you and your decisions, right? And if you can't deal with it or handle it or you don't want that in your life, okay, then don't have it, right? But if you do want to help this person and if you want to see this person through and you want to see and you can envision another side of this where they could kind of come out of that situation and you could be there for them, if you can do that for a person, it is an invaluable thing to do for somebody. It's, it's amazing. I can't even put words to it. Uh, it's incredibly uh, helpful and useful and, and, and amazing to be there for somebody when they are going through uh, something that they think is an amazing experience, but you know is not going to end well uh, in all likelihood. And most cult experiences don't end well for people. You know, majority of people do get out of these groups, you know. They, they're, 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 they're a very revolving door in many, many ways. You know, there's a lot of people who do get stuck in them. I'm not trying to minimize that. But I am also pointing out that you, you have a good chance that this person you know or you're related to is eventually going to come to their senses and get out of it. And if you cut them off now or, or, or get so angry with them or upset with them or cause them to become so angry, upset with you, that that relationship is cut and those bridges are burned, you know, then, then, then that might not be so great for you either. You know, it's something to think about. You really do need to give yourself a little bit of time to have a think about that and decide, you know, how important is this relationship to you now and into the future. And if it is important at all or if it's somebody you care about, then, you know, then it's a bit of a commitment to do this. But I think it pays off, uh, you know, very, very healthy dividends in the, in the end. So, um, but at no time along these lines should you um, allow them to cross boundaries with you that you don't want crossed. In other words, if you don't want them dragging you down to the cult center, you don't have to go. If you don't want to hear their big, huge spiel about it, you don't have to. If you don't want, you know, whatever, however you want to set those relationship boundaries, you know, you do still have that freedom. Um, but to the degree that you can invest in it and, uh, and you know, you are realize you are helping this person out. Okay. Um, so that is really important to remember. The other thing um, in talking with or dealing with cult members or people who are involved in these things is don't lie. Just really, 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 really try to keep it all above the boards and honest. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be bluntly truthful either or bluntly honest and tell you everything on your mind. You know, we all have our own choices to make in our relationship with honesty and truth and integrity. And uh, I don't know anybody who gets along in life by being brutally, bluntly honest with everybody they meet. 
right? We hold back all kinds of things all the time, and it's perfectly socially and, and civil, you know, civilization, societally acceptable to hold back, to not say everything that's on your mind. You're not being a dishonest, you know, uh, scumbag because you're not telling your Scientologist friend what you really think about L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, you don't have to go there, right? But you also don't have to lie and tell them that you're okay with it or you're fine or this is all good or, whoa, L. Ron Hubbard sounds like quite the man. Wow, that's impressive. You know, you don't have to go into any kind of that, you know, either, either snidely or trying to, you know, overcompensate or be impressive to them or get on their good side or something. You don't, you do not have to do that. Just be a friend. That's really all that's called for is you just be a friend. Your, you know, your job as the friend or family member is to be the real person in their life, not the brutal, honestly person, not the person who's putting them down all the time or telling them how wrong they are for being in the cult. That's not my point. I'm trying to say that you're the connection to the real world that they can hold on to because they're going into or are already in uh, a, a, an artificial world, uh, a, a sort of a prison of belief, right? A, a, a setup or a, a, a milieu, as they say, a, a, a world or environment that is controlled by different rules and ideas than the rest of the real world. <laughs> Whatever the group is, that's true. And that bubble world is is something that you can you know keep a tie inside of but you don't want to disappear yourself into that bubble world um and you can't unfortunately uh forcefully push them uh or pull them out of it um what is that okay all right sorry just looking at a couple things here okay so, yeah, so don't lie, okay? But if you can, the thing that's so interesting about talking to cult members is they really want to talk about the cult. And they want to tell you all about it and they want to get you in. And they've probably got some preconceived, uh, prefabricated set of lines or pattern or, or words or speeches or whatever that they've got that they want to tell you or give you or they want to drag you down to the cult or whatever. And you don't have to get involved with it. You don't have to do any of that. You don't have to engage real super serious with that. But you are going to have to give them the time of day if you expect them to give you the time of day. A back and forth means you got to let them talk too. And you got to let them express what's on their mind. Uh, if you're just trying to overwhelm and overload them with information about how bad and wrong and horrible it is, you know, the defenses are going to come up and they're not going to be listening. And um, and you're not really having that back and forth that you might want to really be having uh, in order to uh, assure them that you're there for them and that you're still going to be a friend or family member despite their, you know, nutso beliefs. <laughs> Which, of course, is exactly what you don't say to them. But try to be genuine in your interest or curiosity about what they're involved in. And more specifically, what they think about it, what they see in it, what they get out of it, what they're doing it for, what, where they think they're going. It's, it's, it's consulting them, not L. Ron Hubbard or Jim Jones or Moon. It's not show me Dianetics and explain Dianetics to me. It's, oh, you had a Dianetics session. That's interesting. What happened? Tell me all about it, right? Or tell me whatever you want to tell me about it. Or what was the end result of it? Or what'd you get out of it? Or what what are you trying to resolve with this? Or what what occurred exactly? You know, try to get all the data from them that you can get them talking, get them, you know, open about it. And that will might then give you the reasons why or the things the person's thinking as to what it was that hooked them or closed them or or got them convinced that this was the thing, right? Is they go in for a dynamic session, let's say, and this headache they've had for 10 years is suddenly gone, you know? And you're like, oh, wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's so cool. I am so happy that headache is gone. Why do you think that is? Oh, well, you know, I had this engram and, oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. Well, what exactly happened there, right? I mean, just get really curious, right? Really dig in. 
Oh, huh. Well, do you think it might have been? I mean, if it occurs to you that you might ask questions about what they're doing, this is where the whole street epistemology thing comes in. Maybe ask questions about where they got the idea that it was an engram. Oh, really? What, what, what gave you that idea? Oh, because well, L. Ron Hubbard wrote, da, da, da. Oh, that's interesting. Do you think there might be other explanations for what happened? I mean, a real innocent question, not, yeah, yeah, that's just bullshit. There's no way engrams are bullshit. You know, that's not how you want to go. But questioning, light, curious, genuinely interested. That is really, really, really the way to the way to go with that. Um, okay. Um, yeah, the bomb, not its creator. That's right. Okay, so let us continue. Oh, yes. Now, as far as um, arguing against the dogma of the group, right? The beliefs, the rituals, the ideas, the, the cosmology, right? I mean... We already know that when it comes to Scientology, it's. I really hope everybody knows that it is really next to useless to bring up Xenu or talk at all about their confidential beliefs or any of that kind of stuff. The reason why is because most Scientologists themselves haven't even been exposed to it. And if they have, the last thing they're going to do is tell you about it. They have been sworn to secrecy up and down one side and down the other. They swore on a stack of Dianetics books. They'd never tell anybody. And, and they're not. And they're certainly not going to tell you. So uh, the the point there, though, is not about the, the 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 relative truth or falsity of the of the belief set. It's they know better than you do, and they know they know it better than you do, and they or or at least they feel they do, right? Uh, I mean, you can go read Dianetics, and you can go read Fundamentals of Thought, and you can go you know, charge into Hubbard's lectures and learn all about it and try to argue somebody out of Scientology by debating the beliefs with them. But, it should, you know, odds are it's not going to work because they aren't going to accept you as a non-group member. They're never going to think you know more than they do and you certainly don't know more than their cult leader. And that's the, that's the clincher, okay, is, is you might know more than them. They might actually have to go, oh, yeah, I don't know about that. I haven't heard about that. I didn't see that. Oh, you got me on that one. <laughs> like, they'll, they, they might even, you know, see that you know something more than they do. But you don't know more than the cult member. And when it comes to this subject, their ability to critically think, remember, has been reduced through all that manipulation and euphoria and coercive control. So arguing dogma, not a good idea because they're never going to believe that you're an authority, you see. And that's the problem that you're going to have is trying to be an authority. And this is the mistake so many people make, which is why I keep harping on it, is everybody makes this damn mistake, is they think they know more than the cult member does. And sometimes they do. But, but the cult member is never going to acknowledge the reality of that, and they're never going to give it to you. Okay, so, um, so it's, so the, oh, and also the other thing is, and this is, a, this is part of the trick of the manipulation, is the goals, the ideas, the future ideals that the group embodies or, or is working toward or is trying to achieve are generally speaking, are usually so generalized, so, you know, so sort of opaque and not crystal clear and not specific that they are very, very hard to argue against, right? They, they, you will not be easily, uh, effectively able to argue against you know, making uh, Scientology's main goals, right? A world without crime, illiteracy, and war where honest people have rights and, and can rise to greater heights. Those are the aims of Scientology, right? I think I almost quoted it exactly there. Uh, it, how do you argue against that? I mean, you, you really can't, you know? I mean, how do you say, oh, Scientology's awful because they want a world without war? Or... 
Scientology is full of shit because they're never going to make a world without war. I mean, you, it's just an unassailable position. It's just so good. It's so righteous. It's so wonderful that the person you're talking to has absolutely adopted this idea as credible, real, achievable. We used to talk about clearing the planet in Scientology all the time, even though when you sit down and run the numbers, it is the most ridiculous piece of nonsense you've ever heard of trying to clear the planet, make everybody on this planet a Scientologist and do it in one generation. Right. I mean, they're not even on track to do it in a hundred generations right now. Not even remotely close. Right. But don't tell a Scientologist that they won't be able to deal with it. So, uh, I mean, I tried. Even when I was starting to get disaffected as a Scientologist and started thinking about that, I brought it up to a couple people and no one wanted to hear it. No one. So they don't even hear it from other cult members, much less hear it from somebody outside the cult. Not interested, right? Not going to go there. Okay. Um, so, okay, now... Um, yes, don't condemn or criticize or harp against it or be angry or judgy, even though you know you have good reasons to be that way, okay? Scientology, the moon, uh, the moonies, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, so many cults, so many groups, so many relationships. You just look at it and you just know, oh, man, right? Or you dig in, you find out, yep, nope. Not, you know, it's no good. Um, you know you have reasons to be concerned. Well, be concerned. Just don't be concerned in such a way that you turn them off, uh, that you drive them away, you know, because that's, that's, that's no good for everybody. Uh, okay, focus on why this person identifies with the group so much. Uh, what they believe they're getting from it. Try to reinforce the message. It's great that you're developing yourself and your skills so positively and that the group is making you so happy. Now, that's actually a quote. That little piece of advice there I just read is actually a direct quote from uh, my professors, Rod and Linda Dubrow, uh, Marshall from my, my coercive control program, is you really want to be super curious, as I think some of you guys have gotten in the comments. You really want to be super, super curious about what this person is getting out of the experience and why they individually feel connected. You don't want to talk in broad generalities about Scientologists or Moonies or keep it focused to this person you're talking to, their concerns, their worries, their upsets, their goals, their purposes, their desires. And their euphoria, their awe, their, you know, their, their experiences and feelings about it. Okay, um, so that is important. And then, oh, okay, and then, uh, in terms of goals, right, the first goal that you have in in uh, talking to somebody who's in a cult or being, or is, is getting sucked into one or is in one is maintaining that communication line, maintaining that relationship. That's your first primary goal. Always got to keep that front and center because um, that will that keeping that front and center should remind you at all times to be a little careful about what you're saying and always temper, always think, okay, this sounds innocuous, but how are they going to hear it? <laughs> You know, because uh, jokes can go really south really fast, for example. Uh, and and, it, and you really got to like kind of gauge where they're at as far as can I be light? Can I treat this subject with any degree of levity at all? I mean, remember, sometimes the cult leaders or the, or the relationship partners actually set rules and boundaries of their own about jokes. I mean, L. Ron Hubbard wrote a whole issue about jokers and degraders, and he called them psychotic. He said, if you're joking about Scientology, you're nuts. And Scientologists take that and apply it to people outside Scientology. So you might not even know all the little hidden uh, landmines 
that are out there waiting to go off, right? So you, so, so I'm not saying to, you know, suddenly pull in your flippers. I'm just saying always be conscientious of who you're talking to and what's going on over there, right, with that person. Um, okay. And um, so my point is, though, getting them out of the cult may or may not happen because of what you're doing. But it's not your job to do that. As a friend or family member, your job is to have a relationship with them and maintain that relationship and be friendly and be and to get friendship back from them. It should be a two-way street. And or love, right? Familial uh, connection. That's your job, is to be supportive and loving and caring and that kind of thing. Um, so if you can get them out, great, but don't take it as a failure or some problem or some lack on your part if you can't do it or it doesn't happen. Uh, just being there and maintaining the relationship is itself a win. It is a big challenge and it is a success if you are doing that. Okay. Um, and, and just the fact that you're doing it is a help to the person even if they don't know it, because you're, you're keeping that connection to the outside world, the real world, the place where, you know, we, we deal in reality, not the fantasies of the cult. Um, remember that cults, by their nature, are destructive. So odds are, now or at some point in the future, someone or some group of people in that cult are going to piss your friend or family member off, right? They're going to do something destructive to this person, right? And there's nothing you can really do about it. It, it has to kind of happen because they're not going to be able to break ties or even start thinking critically about this group until something like that happens, until that awe, euphoria sort of, um, I guess you could say the fog that they are surrounded by of that starts to dissipate a little bit. And generally speaking, it's destructive crap that happens to them, right? Basically, what occurs is um, some kind of moral uh, dilemma occurs and the cult does the wrong thing. You know, they, they, they screw with the person's values in some way that the person's not willing to be screwed with. Uh, it, whether it's demanding that they sever ties with a family member, for some people that's too much, and they go, no, I'm not doing that, and they leave the cult. They don't leave the family member, they leave the cult. But it's not until the cult demands they do that that they see for themselves the problem with the group. You could talk to them all day long about all the disconnection that happens in Scientology. And if they listen to you, which they probably won't, but if they do, they're going to believe the entire time that you're saying that to them that it's never going to happen to them. That cult members are, are, are almost, um, it's almost awe-inspiring. <laughs> The levels of, of cognitive dissonance resolution that can occur where they will always go to the place where, the, where nope, I'm going to be okay. That, those were those people, not me. That was them. I'm good. That would never happen to me at all, right? And we see this. We see this in the movies. We see this in literature all the time. I mean, this is nothing, nothing strange. Uh, I, I mean, hell, it was in um, Kill Bill. Remember at the end of Kill Bill 2, one of my favorite movies? Uh, Uma Thurman's character, right, is telling Bill uh, at the end. She's like, you know, did I know you could do all these horrible, bad, evil things to people? Yeah, I did. But I didn't ever imagine you would do it to me. You know, and that's the breaking point. That's the point where they go, oh, this really is destructive. This really is harmful because they were finally hurt. So sometimes as harmful, as, as, as difficult, as painful as it can be for us watching from the outside, you know, you got to let them have the fall because uh, it's the only thing that's going to wake them the hell up, you know, because no amount of information you're doing is going to.
Uh, okay, so... Um, oh, absolutely. This is a great question. Along the line of, um, of talking with them, dealing with them... Xion asks here, would it be a good idea to introduce the cult person to information about critical thinking skills? Absolutely. Always helpful. Never a, never a bad idea to teach somebody about education, critical thinking, emotion, uh, science, science literacy. These are all things that are always going to benefit a person. I mean, I mean, almost no matter what the context so, um, but realize, again, always keep front and center, always keep front and center that the whole point, the whole thing about being under coercive control and being in a cult situation is that the person has lowered all their defenses. They are not thinking critically about this subject. And the propaganda and the indoctrination they have received has actually made it impossible for them to do so and the emotional investment. So all of those things, that package of stuff is, is what makes a person a cult member, is they can't think critically about it. And once, they, once, once you can break that, it, whether the cult does it or you can do it, or somebody else can do it, however it happens, once that dam starts opening, that, that, you know, once, that, 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 once the cracks in the facade start happening, um, it's almost a matter of time at that point because you're just waiting for the cult to screw up, you know, and screw them somehow. And it will almost uniformly happen one for one. But, you know, the thing about this is sometimes it can take years. And, and people are not comfortable, you know, with the long haul of that. And I get it. I totally get it. And you can do more advanced things and you can stage even, you can go all the way to an intervention if you want. There's, there's other things you can do beyond what we're talking about in this podcast. But what I'm advising here and what I'm talking about is just simple relationship stuff. I'm not talking about trying to lead up to, you know, doing a full-blown intervention or something. Okay, which I think we're all clear on. So, okay, um, but odds are the cult's going to wake the person up, okay? Um, there's an interesting thing I wanted to bring up or mention here with this, which is that... Um, uh, <laughs> um, you know, in relationships, I got a piece of advice years ago when I was dating. Um, after I'd gotten out of Scientology, I got this 90-day rule. And I thought it was an interesting point. It, maybe it's true, maybe it's not, but it's interesting. And the rule is that no matter who it is you're getting involved with or what relationship or how wonderful this person is or how great they are, give it 90 days before you do anything really serious, before you make any real financial or emotional, like serious investment, give it 90 days. And the reason why is because 90 days was the arbitrary number chosen by this person giving me this advice for how long someone can keep a false facade going. How long can somebody keep up a pretense of, of somebody else than they really are trying to present to you, I'm this wonderful, awesome, amazing person. Well, after 90 days, almost anybody is going to have cracks in that facade start to show up if not, if the facade doesn't completely fall apart by that time. So you're going to get to, in other words, you're going to start seeing who the real person is underneath all of the propaganda, right? And uh, that 90-day rule, I don't know that it's only 90 days when it comes to an organization, but I think there's a similar uh, analogy, an analogous uh, thing that could be made when it comes to groups that people get involved in. There's this honeymoon period, in other words, right? This wonderful period where they can do no wrong, everything will be wonderful, it's all so great, nothing bad could ever happen here, these are the best bunch of people. Well, since you've got a group of people there, I think that they collectively might be able to keep the facade going a little longer than 90 days is my own personal opinion about that. But eventually, the cracks start showing, right? And the awe starts kind of, you know, petering out a little bit. Because it's, it's impossible for a human being to experience ever-increasing amounts 
of serotonin and dopamine and keep getting hit for the rest of their lives. It does it, nobody's doing that. Right? Eventually the the cracks start showing. And uh so if you give it time then um that will that natural organic process will probably start occurring. And if you're listening carefully to what the person's telling you and you really keep that friendly communication going, they might start sharing those ideas with you, those doubts, those cracks, those, oh, man, you know, I went down to the church today and they just would not shut up about getting me to take out a second mortgage on my house. And I just don't want to do that, you know, and maybe that's all they say. And you go, damn, yeah, that's that's fucked up. They shouldn't be doing that. And maybe that's it. Maybe that's the entirety of the conversation. But you've now planted a seed, you see. Now you got a negative against this overwhelming avalanche of positive, right? And the reality is that there's all kinds of negative there, but they have to see it. And, and you know, to the degree that they see it, you acknowledge it, you validate it. Yes, I agree that is not right. And that's about as far as you go. If you see an opening for more, great, you know, go for it. But careful, always tread carefully. You can go too far, too fast, so easily. So always, always be aware of what you're saying and how it might be perceived. Okay. Um, and let me just check in real fast on the comments. Okay, good. Good, guys. Okay, and then I'm going to get to my last points here. Um, if you are a stable, pleasant, or at least friendly voice for the person, no matter what, you will be of more help to them than you know. A cult is all about changing a person, and by keeping in touch with them and keeping it real, you keep them connected with the world outside the cult and that is almost never a waste of time. And that is the last final thought I wanted to, to leave on that, okay? Is everything you're doing to try to help them or stay in touch with them or keep them tied to reality, everything you do actually does help. And even if it doesn't feel like it, even if it feels like they're, you know, they're being taken advantage of and they're being run off the cliff and, you know, and all that kind of thing, um, you just being around and being there for them actually does matter and actually does help. Um, and eventually, if they come back around to it and get out of that, they'll see that too. And there's nothing that gives you a bigger payoff than when they come around and finally get it, you know. Because because you if you don't if you're not an asshole about it. Right. And you don't run into the, you know, and you just can't wait to give them the all the I told you so's, you know, just, just don't do that. If you can just refrain from doing that, you're going to find they're going to do that to themselves way harder than you're ever going to want to do it to them anyway. Right. And then you got to be there for them on a whole nother level <laughs> and cult recovery. Right. But that's that's a that's a much funner problem to have than than them being in the cult. So. Yeah, this hour did fly by, didn't it? I didn't really have this timed. I wasn't sure how this was going to go. Hey, Steve. Hey, from L.A. Okay, so um, observe, remember, compare. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. All right, guys. So thanks very much for coming around. I think I'm going to start wrapping up here. Uh, I really had a nice time doing this talk with you guys today, and I hope that this information was was useful, helpful, and maybe mildly entertaining in some fashion along the way. Uh, always, always, uh, you know, never know what's going to happen during a live stream. Uh, but you guys have been great, and there have been some really great questions here along the way. Um, if I have a, okay, here's another great question. If I have a longtime friend that has gone to the dark side, should I just not allow us to talk about those kinds of subjects? If that's what's going to maintain the friendship, then yeah, right? Whatever you, in your context, your situation, you're going to know better than me how to keep it going. But I would always prioritize keeping it going over not. So whatever is going to make that possible, do that. And let them be the guide 
as to what they will and won't hear from you and that kind of thing. You'll learn very quickly what they will or won't deal with from you. And they will also need to learn what you will be willing to hear from them. It's okay that you tell them, you know, I really don't want to talk about over on Hubbard today. Can we talk about something else? It's okay to do that, you know, and they need to be a, be in the relationship too, you know. Uh, so there is all of that. There will be a Q&A tomorrow. It will be pre-recorded. I will not be doing it live. Uh, so there you go for that. All right, guys. Um, so that all being said, I guess we will wrap up. I did want to put a quick plug in real quick. Uh, Patreon, Venmo, PayPal, whatever. Show me some love. Send me some support. Uh, we definitely could use it. And, uh, and it's always, always helpful because this channel is 100% fan funded by you guys. All right. Thanks very much. And I'll see you guys. Let's see. I will see you next live uh, this next week on Friday for our next Critical Conversations. All right, guys. Bye-bye.